What is going on, everyone? I want to welcome Jake Thompson, the CEO of Compete Every Day to the show. Thank you so much for being on the show, and I'm really excited to connect with you. Yeah, looking forward to today's conversation. I'm, I'm super excited to spend some time this morning with you and, and getting to share a little bit with your audience. Awesome, awesome. And how we normally kick this off. So I'm personally looking forward to hearing everything about your brand. I love Compete Every Day. I love your story. But before we get to all those accomplishments, I'd like to get to know the person a little bit and who you are. So if you could start with your upbringing, and we'll say maybe through your teenage years. And then after that, we'll kind of zoom into different parts of your life. Yeah. So a snapshot right now, I'm husband to an awesome wife. I'm a doggy dad to two crazy dogs and live in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. I grew up though in a small town in East Texas of about 13,000 people called Jacksonville. Uh, little East Texas town, as you can imagine, every stereotype, except we did not ride horses to school, uh, <laughs> but it was Friday night lights. And, you know, I grew up loving uh, the game of football is what I wanted to do growing up. I was around it. Uh, you know, if I wasn't eating, sleeping, breathing football or Madden, I was probably working at my dad's gas stations uh, because he had a, a couple of gas stations in the small town. And so from the age of seven till Heck, some in college. I was working on those on summer breaks, weekends, sweeping gas pumps, stocking ice, everything that a seven, eight, nine-year-old does not want to be doing on a Saturday. And so sports were the, the Saturdays I got out of that work. And so I really look forward to that and, and dove into it. Graduated high school 2002, came up here to Dallas-Fort Worth, went to TCU, full intentions of playing football there as a walk, uh, preferred walk-on tore my shoulder up the summer before I got there. And so the academic scholarship that I've been offered to come play, we got put to use. So there was no athletic career, uh, just yeah. became a college student and a fan of football from a, well, you know, another story for another day that that is as most athletes know is one of the toughest breakups you ever have and ever go through. And, and at the time I didn't know mentally what was going on with me. My identity was tied up in football and what I did uh, you know, my ability to process emotions and controllables was very low. Some of my social maturity was low. And so I went through kind of a mental tailspin freshman, sophomore, even junior year of not knowing how to handle all of this. And that kind of spurred some of the initial thoughts for how do you get a stronger mindset? Like I'd always been a gritty kid. I'd always been someone that was going to outwork people. But I didn't fully understand more of the mental toughness side and really building a strong mindset. And so the seeds were planted there, uh, went from college to grad school with the intentions of being the next Jerry Maguire. I started working for an agency here in Texas, went and got my MBA just to get certified by the NFL. And about two weeks before graduation, I decided this is not what I wanted to do. I'd spent time working in it. I'd recruited guys. I'd just seen the ups and downs on the inside of the agent world. And, and for me at that time, Mentally, I wasn't ready for it. As I said, the, the mental game for me was not as strong as it should have been or it could have been, I'll say. And so I got out in 2008. The economy sucked. Couldn't get a job. Uh, I had non-traditional work experience. I had an MBA and nobody was hiring. So I started freelancing graphic design that I'd taught myself. So very raw graphic design, some basic website stuff, and then a little bit on social media because it was so new. Just talking to companies about what the platform is, how you can use it, how you can schedule content on there. Very, very basic. 
started building a consulting practice off of that and, and was fairly good at it, but I wasn't fulfilled with the work I was doing. And eventually about 2010, everything kind of boiled up and started toying with this idea of competing every day. What would it look like to take the, the uber competitive attitude I always had in sports growing up and apply it to life outside? Like what would life look like for me or for anyone if we showed up every day and competed against ourselves to be better in our relationships and our career and our spiritual life and our workouts, whatever it is, we stopped settling to get through the day, but we started competing to be a little bit better. And I had no idea what to do with it. But every time I talked to people about this message, you could see it resonate. And this person would talk about what they competed for. And this person would tell me something completely different. And I spent about six to eight months tinkering with that project until my best friend roommate at the time was like, you should look at t-shirts. So there's a company out of Boston called Life is Good. They do 120 million a year. He said, they're really popular. And I think you might be able to do something with shirts with this compete everyday message. And so I was like, why not? I had some money set aside for a trip that he and I were going to take. He ended up spending his trip money on an engagement ring for his now wife. So I can't really fault him for that, but I didn't want to do the trip solo. So I put my money into a few boxes of t-shirts and tanks and started hustling them behind a CrossFit gym in Dallas in May of 2011. Oh, that is, <laughs> that is an awesome story. Um, I want to zoom in before we yeah. uh, move forward. So you mentioned hurting your shoulder and I just thought about this uh, this week. Are, are you a Cowboys fan? Oh no, no, oh, no, no, no. I'm actually, if you can see on the video, that's a Panther. I am a oh, Carolina Panther. Okay. Despite being a Texan, I was a snotty nosed kid that didn't want to be like everybody else. And especially when it didn't want my dad's team in pro. And so when the Cal, when Carolina and Jacksonville were announced in 2000, uh, or not even 2000, 1993, I was like, that's my team that's your day team. one as a gotcha. 10 year old. That's my team. And so I've been with them through and through. So we, we play the Cowboys Sunday yeah. though. So, <laughs> so you, you don't hate me then. Cause I'm a Raider fan. So most people, oh, not at all. okay, awesome. And so what I was thinking about this week, and I don't know why it took me so long to realize this is if you're going to college, you're planning on playing football or a sport like that, the chances of getting injured and it just derailing your career. And I saw just the, the injury uh, report for the Raiders this week and some other teams. And I was thinking, man, the, the chances of making it through even college football and not getting hurt, it seems like you could be the most talented, hardworking person in the world, but that the risk of injury and then actually making it, you know, to the league. And so how was it when you got hurt and just felt derailed? Can you, Talk a yeah. little bit more about that. Yeah. You, you know, you laugh about the guys that make it all the way without it. You look at the two examples I can't help think of now is Christian McCaffrey, one yeah. of the most talented guys, but has been hurt each of oh, the yeah. last three seasons. And Grant Hill, who could have been a top five, probably NBA player, had he not had the foot injury that just never healed. So injuries are, are crazy. So for me, I was a smaller kid. Um, I had a academic and athletic scholarship offer to SMU. Uh, I accepted it originally May of my senior year. I was like, mm, I don't think I want to go there. I just, something didn't sit right. One of my receivers went to TCU. And so I was like, I'm going to go do it. So for me, football was always it. Like it was life for me, but I, I was 5'11, 150, 160 pounds. That's not a big quarterback. Now today's yeah. game, whole different ball game because it's spread. But in 
2002, there weren't a whole lot of teams outside of, you know, Texas Tech, maybe Kentucky that were spreading and throwing and really playing with shorter guys. Like Drew Brees was the anomaly in sports yeah. for getting drafted at like 5'11". So I knew there wasn't a pro. Like I knew college was it for me. But at the same time, like you're just, you don't expect it to ever end. It's like anything. When, it, it, yeah. when something ends and you're not expecting, it's always disappointing. And so for me, the injury wasn't the worst. Like I shredded it up in a, in a mini uh, regional all-star game here in Texas uh, the summer before I was playing with a couple of buddies who were trying to get scholarships. And I mean, it was, it was shot. And the doctor was like, here's the deal. Like we can do surgery. We'll repair it. You go to college, you play, but you're going to need at least surgery two to three more times. If you're getting hit by 250, 300 pound guys. He said, we can do some injections, some rehab. You can do absolutely nothing with that arm for six months and let it heal. And then you can just go and play intramurals here and there and enjoy life as a college kid. And so for me, it was like, man, I don't want to go under the knife a bunch. I'm not going to play pro. Like I don't have the frame to play pro. And I was like, I'm going to make the decision to just be a student. And I made it fairly quick. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm just going to play the long game. But I didn't realize the repercussions for me at that time because so much of my identity was tied up in being a quarterback and being good at football. Yeah. Like that was what I was tied up in and being a leader on the field. And, and for those that haven't played team sports, there's something special about being on a team, working out together, training together, playing together. Like you ride the roller coaster together. hundred percent. And when you're out of that, you don't have that. And there's very few places where you can get that. Like I, I, I rushed my freshman year with a, with the specific fraternity, uh, that some guys I'd met that were very similar in terms of, of values and standards and who they were. And that gave me some aspects of it, but it really wasn't the same. And I would go out on the intramural field and play. And of course, mild receiver was there on scholarship and I lived in the athletic dorm. So the guys knew me and they would come out to some of the intramural games. And I'm like, man, you need to come out and play. Like you need to come play on the team. And I knew my body wasn't going to hold up with it. And so it was years of, I mean, and I would say at this point, probably depression because I, I literally felt like I was in the worst breakup with the person I loved and thought I was going to marry and I had no control over it. And so emotionally I was all over the place. Uh, mentally it was like, I can still play, but I can't play. Like in my head, I was like, I'm better than some of these folks but I wasn't out there doing it. So I'm really not better than those folks out there doing it. And so it was just, a, it was rough. Um, and, and it's funny because about four years ago, I tore my Achilles. I tore it up playing a men's basketball league and going through that process reminded me of what I wish I'd known more often going through the rehab process of the shoulder coming out of high school and, and just mentally dealing with it. It's because when we go through any kind of pain, disappointment, setback, it's so easy for us to get caught up in what we used to could do. And we live there. I used to could run faster. I used to could walk, you know, whatever. Play the victim. And we start to focus on what's outside of our control. And we fail to show up with what's in our control. And so for me, going through the Achilles rehab process was one, a reinforcement of what I preach. Do what you can and quit worrying about what you can't. Because unless you show up and do what you can to the best of your ability, you're not going to be able to do what you can. I mean, you think about people that go through rehab, 
I would be shocked if the percentage is over 20% of people that actually go home and do all of the exercises, all of the stretches, everything the PT tells you to do that you're not get when you're in the office. That's easy. PT is right there. They're doing it with you, but everything they tell you to do at home is a very small percentage that does that. There's also a very small percentage that returns back to the health that they were. And so I, all I focused on throughout that period is how can I focus on what's in my control? This is frustrating. This is suck. This sucks. This is annoying. I can't do the things I used to, but what can I still do to get back to that point one day? And so it was a really cool dynamic for me to be able to look back at then and realize, okay, if I was better at mindfulness, if I was better at focusing on my controllables, maybe I'd try to rehab it and go play, but I would have been better emotionally and maturity to handle that process and just the disappointment because my identity wouldn't have been as tied up as, in as much of what I did and more focused on who I was and developing that person. And we talk about that a lot in the show about the victim mindset and mentality. Do you remember through that whole process? Like, can you zoom into some moment when you realize that's how you were thinking and then shifted, or is this more of an ongoing type of process for you? Yeah. You know, I really don't. Um, I really, I really don't remember the shift. I, I just remember one day coming to the realization that, and I, I couldn't even tell you specifically when, but just my behavior changing that that chapter has closed. It was a phenomenal chapter in my life, but if I keep living there, I'm missing out on what's ahead. And it was just a continual reminder every day. Anytime I would feel that, man, I should have, I should have done this, man, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, what, what opportunity I miss out on. I just remind myself the memories I made in that sport doing that were phenomenal. And that chapter of my life taught me a lot of things I can use now, but I can't keep living there. And so it was just a gradual process of getting out of that from, I, I really haven't for the most of my life, I'll say, haven't adopted the victim mentality because I don't believe the world's out to get me. Um, I never have. I, I think part of that was my dad instilling so much in me at a young age of working in the gas stations and having to, you know, bust your butt. Like if I saw an I saw him doing it, like I saw him jumping in and working and helping all this and, and me being forced to work that it wasn't the idea that life isn't fair, but it was also the idea that life's not going to hand you anything. You're not going to go get. And for me, the victim mindset was, I don't know if it's a victim mindset. I've I, I just kind of struggled in the pity party of things mm. not working out in my favor versus believing I was probably the victim. And so that the thing that really helped as I grew and mature is, is understanding, like, I have goals that I want. I don't know what some of them are, but I sure as heck don't want to settle for something and going after it. And I remember the book uh, by Donald Miller, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, really helped solidify a lot of what I was thinking. Because Miller's book talks about and argues the point that great movies, great books, they're great stories. And great stories have conflict. They have characters that are pursuing a purpose bigger than themselves. They, they're doing it with others. It's in community. And I looked at what I was doing with life, and I had some great friends. I still have those great friends. But I really wasn't doing anything of value or merit that would live beyond my years. And I remember reading that book and saying, if I want a better story and a better outcome, I have to go make it. And that really catapulted and changed a lot of my life trajectory. It, it helped initiate the start with compete every day. It was a lot of those pieces coming into place. But yeah, it, it was just the idea of growing up that 
Like I watched my dad, like if you wanted something, you had to go earn it. And I wasn't going to sit around and expect somebody to come give it to me and, and tell me that it was going to be okay. And, and yeah. you know, you're going to get that handout. You've got to go earn it. And I know you weren't super deep into the victim mentality. It sounds like, but doesn't it feel just liberating once you kind of come to the conclusion, like you said, you have to go out and make something of yourself and go out and earn it. I feel like that's so liberating once you get to that point. Yeah. I, I think it's almost, I would say paralyzing, but you think about there's two, you have two options. If I want something in life, I'm going to go get it. Or if I want something in life, I hope someone brings it to me. Mm. And if you're living in the mindset that I hope someone gives it to me, you're living in constant anticipation of something that's never going to come. And you're ultimately ended up with a disappointment. Like you're going to yeah. end up with disappointment and you're going to get to the end and regret from not doing something is going to be a much heavier burden to carry to the grave. Yeah. Then the feeling of, oh man, I failed at a few things, but I went after everything I wanted. Some worked, some didn't. I, I liken it to sports. You always have two ways athletes leave the field. The first way an athlete will leave the field is confident. They put everything they had into practice, preparation, and performance. They showed up, they prepared throughout the off season. They gave their best in the weight room. They did their best in the classroom. They invest in their team. They did everything they could. Game ends, they played their heart out. Sometimes the scoreboard was in their favor. Sometimes it wasn't. You have a lot more athletes that leave the field, leave their career, and know that they cheated themselves in practice. Know that they took a player too off in the game, that they weren't that locked in in the offseason. And they're always going to ask themselves, what if I'd done better? And that's going to haunt them forever because they're going to look back at games and at moments and at opportunities and realize they didn't give their best and what would have happened if they had, and what would life look like now if they had? Oof. And so that's the way we live our lives. And I think for a lot of us, we're in that second category. We're hoping something good happens to us because we're either afraid to go after something and fail. We've bought into the lie that, that lucky breaks and magic tipping points just happen and you have no control over them. And we're going to be victim of life's circumstances. Or you take the mentality that if I want something, yeah. I'm going to go get it. And I may not get it, but I'm going to learn something. I'm going to get better in the process. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go after something else. And I'm yeah. going to make sure when it's all said and done, there's no regrets. And I think you yeah. have to decide. And regardless of where you are, if you're listening to this and you're 20, you're listening to this and you're 50. There's never a too late moment to make the decision to switch mentalities. Mm -hmm. Because what's going to happen is you're going to be able to look back at the past and say, you know what? I didn't make those decisions, but I'm going to make sure I educate, teach, and yeah. encourage someone else to miss them. And I'm going to go make the most of the time that's left. Yeah. And you also brought up an awesome point that we've been trying to talk about a lot lately. And you're talking about failure and being scared of it. And what is it? Like there's something, I don't know if it's a stigma behind it, but that word failure, it's like people I feel are so scared of doing something that's going to maybe make them look bad and then that's maybe the, failing, but it's like, that's it. It's the, it's the fear. There's two, yeah. there's two fears. You're, you're afraid of looking bad. Yeah. You're afraid because we've bought into a lie of society that the best are perfect. We paint it on social media. We post mm, highlight true. reels. We talk about it. And so people are afraid of looking anything but perfect and having it all together. And for some reason, we've taught this idea that 
you don't want to fail. And if you fail, you're a bad person. And part of that ties into the fact that we tie too much of our identity and who we are from what we do. It's the whole thing I went with as an athlete. Yeah. We see failure as who we are because we fall short of a goal instead of understanding failure is just an event that happened when we fell short of a goal. It doesn't impact who we are. And I think most people live that way. Where in reality, like if we were to go into the gym and we're going, we've been working out, we've been training, we're going for a new PR, you probably are going to fail. Like there's a lot of times you go for a heavier weight and you don't hit it, but we don't give it a second thought in that arena. Mm. We get, we may get angry, but we go back to the training board and said, okay, this is where my benchmark is. I'm going to train again. I'm going to break it the next time. And sometimes it's two to three attempts. Sometimes it's more in our head than it is our body. And we've got to break through that mental side, but physical sense, we have no problem maxing out to the point of failure a lot of times and being okay with it and understanding this is the new benchmark and this is what I work off of. But in life, I think so many of us tie our career, tie our athletic endeavors, tie our pursuits to who we are, that we're afraid to take that chance to fall Mm. short because then who am I as a person rather than seeing it as this just didn't work? What can I learn and get better? Because heck, I failed so many times trying to build this business that if I were to be stuck or scared of the idea of failing, I never would have tried something Mm. new. I never would have gotten to this point. You have to not look at failure as an end-all be-all, but you have to start looking at life more as a science experiment. And a scientist is not going to say, oh, I failed at this. They're going to say, oh, that experiment didn't work. Let's try it again with a different variable. Let's make this adjustment. Let's do it a little bit differently. And the more you take the mentality that I am thinking like a scientist, when you go after something, when you try something, the happier you're going to be because you're no longer going to see it as a personal attack on who you are. You're just going to see it as this experiment didn't work. How can I adjust it before the next time? Yeah. And the funny thing about that too is most successful people, if you really dig into their life, they've had so much failure, probably more than the average human, maybe even a lot more. So I want this to be a normal thing that people talk about. I love hearing about people's wins, but also the failures. Also, I want that to be a normal thing, you know? If you haven't failed, you're not going after big enough targets. Yeah. Like you are, you're yeah. settling for what's easy. It's the idea of domination versus competition. Domination is any or anytime I go in, I'm guaranteed to win. I'm, it's like me playing flag football against a bunch of four-year-olds. Like I'm going <laughs> to win that. But one, is that any fun? Do I get any better? Like, no, yeah. it, there's no point to it whatsoever other than stroking my own ego. Oh, that's Competition, good. you don't always win. And ideally in a lot of arenas, when you compete, you want to go against somebody that's equal or better than you, because it's going to force you to play better. It's going to force you to raise your game, force you to do a little bit more. And that means you might lose, but in that moment, you're going to learn, okay, this is how I lost. This is why I lost. This is the gap. And now I need to work on bridging. Yep. hundred percent. And if we could go to when you started building uh, compete every day in those beginning stages, can you Talk about what was going through your mind. And then also in the beginning, if there was any small failures that you had and kind of how you came back from that. Tons. (laughs) Uh, I didn't have a clue what I was doing, to be honest. Um, I was learning e-commerce, design, print, everything along the way. I wasn't optimizing my time. Like I was driving an hour out to pick up prints from a guy that was printing them who terrible customer service, but I hadn't done due diligence to find other printers. And then I was standing in line at the post office. Like I cringe at how many hours I spent some of this stuff, 
but a lot of it just came down to, I just started asking more questions to more people and trying to learn. And it was still a struggle because when you're selling to consumers and, and I was trying to have a little bit of a public face, you don't want to look like you don't know what you're doing. Of course. But I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And so it was a constant battle for me with ego versus curiosity and improvement. And I mean, we, at the, at the beginning stages, I'm just looking at other apparel companies and trying to learn and do things like they are, which wasn't the best move because we weren't like other apparel companies. I was looking at groups where maybe it was an influencer or an athlete had started it and they had a massive platform. Well, they can do things a little bit differently than somebody that nobody has a clue who this person is. And right. I looked at groups like Lulu and Nike who have massive global supply chains. I can't play that game at this time either because I've got to bankroll this myself. And so there were a lot of those things where I was trying to do what other people did and it wasn't good. Um, had a couple of production houses still, I don't know, 15, 20,000 from us for cut and sew that they never delivered on trying to do custom garments because I was like, well, we've got to have stuff like Lulu and Nike. We didn't. Uh, but I didn't realize that at the time it was only going through some of these failures and really having to sit down and evaluate what do we do differently? When I go to an expo and there's 50 companies and a lot of us print on some of the same blanks, what's the difference between them and me? Well, I think our design is better in a lot of instances. Well, they've got a really good branding. Their booth setup's awesome. They create a really cool experience. Okay, what can I learn from them? And then this group over here, you know, what separates us from them? Well, I think it's our message is more applicable to lifestyle than just a specific audience. Cool. How do we play that up? And so we would just go down the path of what do we do differently? And, and my team, funny enough, in 2014, 15, I was trying to figure out a way to shift us out of just apparel. I didn't know at the time why I just said, I'm tired of always going and selling a bunch of shirts and coming home and spending all that money to buy more shirts. Like there's got to be a better way to grow the business and, and then always having cash sucked out the door. And so we started talking about, well, maybe there's some training and education, but I didn't know what it looked like. Maybe it was an online course. I didn't really know. And my team was adamant at the time. They were like, listen, the thing we do well that's different is we sell shirts to people that want to show up and compete. We need to do a better job of identifying those people because even though everybody can compete, not everybody wants to. And we've mm, been trying to go after good. everybody to convince them why they need to compete. And instead, we just need to go after the people that only want to compete. And then the people that are on the outside will see it and perhaps want to be a part of it. Mm. So we had to change who we focused on. And then they were like, you need to go out and tell this message more. We can't communicate it the way you talk about it and you teach it. So you need to go do more of it. I wasn't even thinking about speaking or anything like that at the time, but that was the adamant message. I even have blueprints on in Dropbox of like a redesign of the brand that we looked at that was making it more educational style training and development and away from the apparel. And so at that point, that was kind of, you know, we tried stuff. We earlier on, we tried a, a t-shirt line of don't judge me. I probably still have the Instagram account, but it was funny t-shirts related to food and drinking and eating because we would come up with funny ideas. Cause I love donuts. I love craft beer. I'm a whiskey guy. And we'd come up with these funny ideas and we're like, well, this doesn't really fit the compete everyday brand. So let's toss it over here. But I realized I was trying to do too much and 
I couldn't put energy and effort into that brand if I wanted this one to grow. And this one was more important. So I had to kill that off. Uh, you know, we racked up a ton of business that early, just trying to grow and scale, trying to keep up with people that weren't running the same race as us. And so you had to realize like, that's a completely different game than we are. And then you get caught in the comparison trap of looking at other companies and what they're doing and comparing where you think they are versus where, you know, you are. And that's always a dangerous game because, you know, one of the groups that we were always like, man, they're killing it. God, they're, they're so much better. They went out of business years ago. And, you know, you get those wake up calls of like, dude, why are you focusing on somebody running a different race? It definitely is not in it as long as you are. And so that's all been just lessons and mistakes we've made to say, focus on your lane, find the right audience, pour as much as you can into them. And then once you do that, you're willing to gamble. Like we have a journal coming out in a month. I have no idea if it's going to hit or if it's going to flop. No idea. I know it's a good journal. And I believe that it's a great supplement to the products that we already provide people, but I don't know. It could just completely bump, but I'm willing to take that risk because I know who my audience is. I know that this is solely meant to add value to them and how they show up. And I know if they do that, if they use it and they add value to their life, they're going to be even more dialed into competitor nation. So you got to be willing to do that, but you have to know who you are, who you serve and what race you're running before you can take those chances in a calculated manner. And was there a certain point where you're like, okay, we have some, some momentum here. Like I can see this is going to be successful. Uh, I say that. And then you usually get your legs cut out from under you. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's entrepreneurship, right? You, you, you can never get too excited about the highs because lows are coming and you can never get too down on the lows such as life. Uh, there've been moments, you know, really, it's been emails from customers and I, and I liken that because 2013 and 14, as we were growing, we'd get emails from customers of how, what the brand meant to them. And then 20, honestly, 2017 and 18, we almost sunk. Like I was drowning with some debt and stuff with it because I, I'd taken on debt previously. We were growing at a really rapid pace. And then this guy over here decides we got to change the business. Like we are moving in a direction of apparel of events Events aren't going to be there forever. Costs are going, we got to change how we do business if we really want to make this impact in the long term. And that's when we started changing up. And I was working with speaking coaches, started scripting out books, outlining like where we want the company to go. And so when you do that, you take a lot of the attention and focus away from what you've done and some of the things you've done well mm -hmm. in order to focus on the long term. And, and there was like a six month period where it was like month to month. Like I skipped paychecks to make sure our team was paid. Like there, it, there were sleepless nights, as much stress as my wife laughs she's ever seen me under. I had, there was a time I couldn't even pay an Amex bill. First time in my life, I haven't been able to pay a credit card bill balance due. And I about had a breakdown in the kitchen uh, because I was like, I don't know what the heck we're going to do here. Looking back on that, it was the best move I ever could have made for the company because it positioned us to where we are now. And we're rolling in the right direction. And I say that because the book's been a success. Uh, and, and at least in my opinion, it has been, uh, speaking continues to grow year over year, even in the middle of a pandemic, which looked like that was not going to be the case about 18 months ago. And the apparel continues to grow because we've tightened everything together. And, and like you and I talked about at the beginning, we're a personal development and training company 
we also sell apparel to reinforce the messages mm. we want to teach you about. We also sell a book that's going to teach you how to do things. And then I do corporate uh, speaking and, and workshops to teach teams in the corporate world and athletic world. Here's how you show up and compete every day. And, and here's why it matters. And so when you pair all those together, like that was not the business in 2015 or 16, but it was the one I started to develop and envision that I had to take about 10 steps backwards in order to do it. And it almost sunk us, but it was the right move. If I look at this business from a 20 year window, instead of just a two. Wow. That's uh, that's awesome. You make this change and then obviously you're really nervous, all stuff's happening. Then you still find success a few years later. That is awesome. And how, how is all this speaking and training? How's all that going since you guys did make the transition? Yeah. Uh, it's been a roller coaster, 24 months. Uh, you know, 2018, I'll say, or 2019 was really the first year I was full-time speaking 2018. I did conferences and events, but I want to say maybe I did eight, eight total, but I was, I was taking a bunch of free stuff and I was working on content. I was trying to set it up. I was doing a bunch of sales. So 2019 full-time speaking 2020 by end of January, I'd already doubled the business from 2019. So I'm feeling good. Uh, then March 13th, I get off Ooh. a flight from Omaha, Nebraska, speaking yeah. at an insurance conference and watch the rest of the book of business just disappear. Like everybody doesn't know. So handful of the clients rescheduled uh, to virtual, some postponed. We still have some that are even postponing now to 2022. Yeah. Uh, but what I did was like, I had, I gave myself one afternoon, like the day that I had clients asking for money back, deposits, all of that stuff, paid it all, poured a nice big old glass of mezcal margarita, uh, sat downstairs with my wife, watched some TV that night. But then the next morning I said, okay, pity party over. What are we going to do? Well, I suddenly have 60 days that I would have been in airports and hotels that I'm now at home. How am I going to use this to add value to clients and to find new clients? And that's what I did. That's how we jumped back in. So we started doing a ton of virtual trainings. Uh, a lot of the clients, we pivoted them to virtual after it looked like we didn't know how long this was going to take. Started working on, I did some in-person in, in the end of Q3, Q4 last year, which was totally fine. And then it was, how are we setting up this year in 2021? And this year is already, we've surpassed last year. You know, we're October 1st is tomorrow as we're recording this. And so We've done a little bit better than last year, not nearly as much as I wanted, but considering the current landscape and events are right. still postponing, that's growth. And growth is growth at this point, and especially in the speaker world, because I have a lot of friends that haven't been as fortunate as I have to have an apparel company and a book coming out in the year of a pandemic when all of that stuff can continue to grow yeah. and I can't be on stages. So this yeah. year's been phenomenal. We've signed... Some of the bigger clients we've worked with, I mean, we, we worked with Diamonds Direct, which is a, a national group. We worked with Titleist Golf, which is obviously international oh, awesome. brand. Uh, we've done, we've got clients here that we've built out some 12 month leadership development programs for. And so we do quarterly trainings with their young managers. And so that's really growing and on the upswing. Now, 2022, we've got one date booked at this point. We have a lot of inquiries. We've got a lot of conversations going but you still have the whole hesitation because nobody knows what next year is going to be like. And so a lot of people are very hesitant on booking or they're doing it like one to two months out very quick. To yeah. Hey, we know we're on, let's go. And, and I'm okay with that because we can pick up and go and, and get it set up. So I'm excited about where things are going. 
And I just believe, you know, as we get, if I, as I get book two done, hopefully out end of next year, if not right at the beginning of 2023, that all of that's just going to continue to develop in the right direction because we know who we serve in terms of the apparel, the book, the gear, all of that serves those people. And then from a speaking side, I've built up the reps on stage and just on the work where I'm confident I can help individuals and teams understand how they can compete against themselves. It's not just a cloud theory, but how do we put it into practice every day? How do we be a little more consensual with our controllables? And because I know that, that in 2016 and 17, I was like, hey, I can come motivate your team. That that was fine, but it didn't solve a problem. Now we can specific, mm. specifically solve problems. And when a company hears that and they know, listen, if I can improve your employees' mindset and how they show up, they're going to be more productive. They're going to enjoy working here. If you can help facilitate this type of culture, you're going to retain better employees that are going to be more productive. They understand that. Good times and bad, you want people that can help your sales teams, your leadership teams lead better and show up better. And so I think that's been a big advantage for us throughout all of this is the message of competing against yourself, of controlling your controllables and building your grit. Like we're in the times where you wish you had it before, but if you didn't, you want to start developing it now. And with your training, is that mainly you speaking uh, to the companies or is there any other things that you also do? Um, Cause you, yeah. I heard you say, and development. So I didn't know if you meant like two yeah. separate things. Yeah. So uh, the workshops and trainings are a few, few different. I get hired a lot for keynotes. So one hour Got on the stage, large audience. And then I also get hired for workshops. And usually those will be an hour and a half to three hour sessions where we're diving into very tactical pieces. My keynote, gotcha. I'm going to give you a little bit of things, but really the keynote's design challenge the way you see things give you something you can apply on a daily basis and perhaps modify your perspective. The workshops are like, let's get into the weeds. So in my book, I have something called the competitor scorecard. It's a way to really build habit and productivity throughout the week by focusing on what's important instead of just what's on your to-do list. And so we dive into it. We talk about effectiveness versus efficiency. We dive into the daily practice of how you use this, how you build habits. And so we really kind of get into the weeds with that workshop that is probably most helpful with sales teams because we talk time management. We talk, how are you managing your customer relationships? How you manage drive time? How are you working with your coworkers? Uh, all of those pieces work really well. And then the leadership development, that's kind of a 12 month training where we, we look at like, what is leadership? How we define it. We set standards. We, we dive into why the most important person you can develop as a leader is yourself, because until you develop yourself, you can't develop your team. We get into developing your team. And then the last session, we talk about going forward. What are ongoing practices and things you can put into practice or ongoing actions you can put into practice. And throughout the year we have, we read books together. Uh, you know, we'll, I'll send YouTube videos or podcasts. And then we just have Slack channel with that group or those groups where we're having those ongoing conversations. So really those are the key, the pieces. Keynotes are what I'm known for because that message is like, come in, talk to our sales team talk to our organization. Let's talk about what it means yeah. to compete against yourself. And then the workshops are for those groups that are saying, we need to dive a little bit deeper. Our mm. team needs a little more training hands-on. How can we do that? Was there any keynote where it was, <laughs> I don't want to say crap the, crap the bed, oh but, you're, but you're just uh, like, oh man, that was bad. Did you have any of those moments at all? You know, I've, ha I've had a few. Uh, the oh. funny part is I'll walk off disappointed, but the client never knows. And some of the times where I've walked off and been like, oh my God, clients <laughs> like that was one of the best we've had. And I was like, 
Yes. Um, I laughed. I posted about it on maybe LinkedIn the other day that I completely messed up an athletic talk a couple of years ago at a, at a college, speaking of the whole athlete, uh, whole athletic department and athletes, because I tried to use an example of a, of a meme I'd seen on Instagram and I'd seen it wrong and butchered it. And one of the athletes <laughs> called me out on it. And oh, I laughed. No. I was like, I like kicked myself for a little bit after that. I was like, oh, what's the lesson? Don't ever pull anything out of your rear end on the stage. If you mm. didn't rehearse it, don't run with it. Uh, but I, I laugh about two weeks ago, I was giving just an employee event. I had a two day uh, program with this client and the, the end of it was like their hundred employees were doing this talk. And the night before one of the executives and I are sitting out uh, at the event kind of afterwards and we're sitting there having a beer and he's like, you ever had an event where you just like completely butcher something? <laughs> and I told him the first story. I was like, yeah, I've done this, but you know, for the most part, no. And then the next night it happened and I set the whole thing up perfectly. The talk, we were talking about planting seeds and I forgot at the end to tie it in about you plant seeds because you don't know how long it's going to take for them to grow, but your responsibility is to water it and keep showing up versus to worrying about when it's going to grow and how big it's going to grow. Like that's what you focus on is the seed and not the harvest. And I completely forgot to tie it in effectively at the end. And we wrapped up and everybody's excited and, and chatting with me afterwards. And I walk over to the executive. I was like, you remember that talk we had last night? I was like, that just happened. He was like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, you, you wouldn't know it, but I did. As soon as I walked off, I was like, crap, I completely missed a section. And yeah. somebody's going to leave tonight and be like, you know, he was talking about the seeds and farming <laughs> at the beginning, but I didn't quite get where he was going with it. And I was like, oh. so yeah, you have those. That's, yeah. I mean, there's not a speaker around that hasn't had those or you try a joke and the joke flops, like, but you, you look at it from a speaker standpoint, when you're on stage, it's not about you. When you're on stage, the focus is how can I add as much value to those people in the audience? Because I'm here for them. I don't care what I look like. I don't care what I sound like I've rehearsed. I've done everything I can to prepare to be as much value as I can to you. And that's all I care about. So when you, you start to embrace that mentality, you worry less about, man, I screwed up. And you're more yeah. just able to say, did I give them something they can apply that's going to help them change how they show up tomorrow? Awesome. And so I have uh, one last question yeah. for you. Uh, and I try to ask all my guests this. So you um, have lived a very accomplished life and competitive life. And what we talk about a lot too on the show is being mission driven, which is taking action. So why did you decide to live such a mission driven life? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it goes down to, I didn't want to get to the end with regret. Even if I mm -hmm. bombed building this, I didn't want to carry yeah. the burden of regret. And so for me, action was a necessity because nothing was going to be handed and I wasn't going to right. get anything I wanted without going it. And once I started going, so that was the initial motivation for it. But once I started going, being able to see people's mindset shifts, attitude shifts, the change that happens in them when, when they really start to embrace the compete mindset, that has become the one thing that makes me more driven every day to, to wake up and go is because if I can influence one person, whether it's the individual that's written us that talked about how they saw an ad on Facebook and they were getting ready that night to end their life. Like we've gotten some of those emails and I'm like, like I'll be in tears reading yeah. it. 
But I'm like, this is why we do what we do. Like, it doesn't matter if we don't ever get to whatever financial benchmark we've set. Like if we can keep going and keep influencing and changing, they can go out and make an impact. And that's all that matters. So that's what, what drives me to action. My mission, and, and that's it more than anything, is to make sure that the people that want to win can be encouraged to keep showing up and equipped on ways they can win. And the people that are wondering if they've got what it takes or they're going to be successful or they just think they're meant for more, that I can just somehow spur a little bit of action in them to take one step today. And hopefully that gives them the motivation to take another step tomorrow. And where can people connect with you or buy your book? Or if they want to listen to your uh, podcast, where can they do all those things? Man, I appreciate you asking. Yeah, the best way to get connected with all of us uh, is competeeveryday.com. It's kind of your hub. It's going to have the apparel, the book, the podcast, speaking information on there. Uh, I personally am most active on Instagram. So I run the Compete Everyday account still, but my personal one is Jake Thompson Speaks. And I post a little more video content, teaching content on that. Whereas the main Instagram account for compete is more motivational to highlight some of the gear and, and podcasts. So we'd love for you to say hi. If you heard us here on the show, shoot me a DM. Uh, let me know you heard about it here on the podcast and, and would love to connect with you further. Awesome. I will make sure to uh, add all those in the uh, show notes. Appreciate and it. Thank you everyone for tuning into the Mission Driven Made podcast. If you found value in the show today, which I know you did, go ahead and subscribe to the show and then leave us a five-star review. And Jake, it was awesome getting to know you a little bit conversing with you and hearing your story so thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to do so and until next time everyone stay mission driven Mm